Legally Vocal from Aperio, with guest host I, Stephanie Boyce, celebrating women in legal. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Legally Vocal. I'm I, Stephanie Boyce, President of the Law Society of England and Wales, and with me today is Dana Denise Smith. Dana, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Dana, tell us a bit about yourself. I am a lawyer and entrepreneur in London and also a campaigner for equality in um, the legal profession. So I wear multiple hats. I set up a business called Obelisk Support to try to create flexible legal opportunities for people in the legal profession. And I also set up a campaign celebrating the centenary of women in law called First 100 Years. And that campaign is continuing into its new chapter called The Next 100 Years, looking to achieve equality at a faster pace. All sounds very interesting in as much that I know when I became Deputy Vice President in 2019, I was contacted by the First 100 Years Project and filmed. So tell us a little bit about, you've interviewed a number of high profile ladies. So tell us a bit more about that project. Very, very happy to to speak about our work. So it is a charitable project. It started actually about eight years ago with much more humble aspirations. Um, and I really wanted to educate women in the profession and actually bring men along with interesting stories to help them understand that women have been around the legal profession for much longer than maybe we give them credit and that we're making them queue up to get to the very top for far too long. And so it started with an aspiration to create a digital museum dedicated to the journey of women in law since 1919. Um, that year was very, very important because um, in order to be admitted in the legal profession, women had to be uh, members of the law society or one of the inns of courts. And they were um, routinely rejected because they were women, um, because they were deemed under the existing le- legislation not to be persons. And so the parliament over here had to take action and pass new legislation to remove the disqualification of women from the legal profession and therefore opened the gates to them applying. So for me, marking that centenary of the act of parliament that enabled women to join the legal profession was critical to creating, if you like, a milestone, a turning point for our future. And so um, I wanted to celebrate the act to inform people about how important it was for our profession, but also to tell the stories of our generations first. Because to my amazement, as I went through the timeline of what's happened in the hundred years before, I realized that far from the scare mongery at the time of women flooding the legal profession, it took a very long time. The pace was very much snail paced. And I wanted to educate people about the first and to re- make them realize really that the critical decade, if you like, we're living in it. So I wanted to make sure we record their stories and we have them for future generations. So if you like, we leave a legacy that's richer than the one we received. Absolutely. And not only just a, a digital museum, but there was a book also, which I was pleased to feature in. Yes, we were very, very happy to have you in it and in many of the aspects of the project as well, because as you know, you are a first. 
and a first of our time which is just amazing so it makes it even more special for us to have this chat but um, no we ended up as I said you know I started because I didn't know how far we could take it um, we partnered very early on with the Society, and I'm always grateful for that because it really gave wings to the project but financially was I didn't really know whether we would be able to fund our ambitious project and so I wanted to start kind of humbly and try to kind of see how far we can go and we started with the video aspect first and then as um, the five-year project progressed, we realized, you know, how much more and how many more media we needed to use for the story to really um, be understood and heard because everybody hears differently, right? And um, so we ended up, you know, starting and we made 75 biographical films, which actually have found a home in the um, London School of Economics Women's Library. So they will be there for future generation of researchers and people will definitely see how much women have achieved. And then we realized there was no book about the history of women in law told in an illustrated, engaging way. So we created that. We created um, an exhibition that was, um, you know, traveled around the country and it was visited over two million times. Um, we ended up really operating on so many levels. We had a podcast as well to, again, use an audio format to tell people the history of women. And then it culminated, if you like, in December 2019, when we also had an unveiling of our Arts Commission, um, which ended up going up, uh, going up on the Supreme Court, um, courtroom number two wall, and pretty big artwork. And um, we were so thrilled to be able to finally have women lawyers depicted in the top court in the UK. So really, it started with definitely, you know, a very ambitious kind of project to say, women are here, it's, you know, you take notice. But I never expected it to kind of take so many shapes and to tell the story in so many ways. But I'm so happy we were able to do it. And we had so much support to be able to tell these stories and uh, really educate of how much of an impact women have had over the last 100 years. Absolutely. And what a legacy, especially as we, in December 2022 this year, we will celebrate 100 years of the first woman being admitted as a solicitor. So many remarkable milestones. That's amazing. I, I know. And I'm so happy to be able to be, you know, ready for it, if you like, because it took so so long and uh, uh, to kind of get the information. I mean, I cannot tell you what scarcity of information. So, for example, at the moment, I really love seeing the admission ceremonies of the Law Society. Because I, you know, on social platforms, I know you're doing some and uh, Lubna's doing some. And um, it's so wonderful to see the diversity in the room, because I remember researching um, at the beginning of the project and coming across these kind of, you know, old pictures, um, they were all the same, you know, there was no diversity in the room. And it wasn't just because they were black and white pictures, you would see the kind of old woman, um, even into the 60s and 70s. So it's not a long time ago that women were the only one in the room. Well, absolutely. And of course, what I'm hearing uh, consistently at the moment is the number of females at our admission ceremonies. And of course, we know that uh, uh, females are in the majority of those entering the profession. So let us turn for a moment where we imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination. And of course, this year's theme for International Women's Day is hashtag break the bias. So 
how do men help us in breaking that bias? You spoke earlier about, you know, taking men along on that journey, wanting to be inclusive with them. Well, for sure. I mean, for me, um, diversity, especially around gender equality, was very often a kind of, um, if you like, woman into their own special space, you know, a woman's room for women, as opposed to um, a really open debate around what is right and what is wrong. And I guess, you know, my sense of justice, just by being a solicitor and a member of the legal profession, it's kind of what drove me to be part of it, you know, this sense of we cannot accept this injustice to continue. And um, so for me, I think a lot of lawyers are motivated into the legal profession for the very same principle. Um, and if you feel injustice isn't right, then how about you do something about it? So I would say, first of all, I'm really grateful for all the men that show curiosity and embrace these stories. Storytelling is a very good way to change people's minds and hearts and to make them feel they really can do something. It doesn't have to be a big one. You don't have to run a campaign like the next 100 years, but you do need to ask the colleagues that you have what will make a difference for them. You have to show curiosity around their lives, their um, you know obstacles, their challenges, and really become an enabler. And I think very often men made assumptions about what women want, as opposed to asking them what they wanted. And that is one of the reasons why bias flourished in the legal profession, because we made assumptions around how if a woman got married, she would be bound to go off maternity and she'll become a cost. For example, it's one area where I obviously spent a lot of time looking into what's happening. How about we start by saying, what is your career aspiration? Do you want to continue? How do we enable that? The other way is to say, you know, if we're struggling to keep women all the way to see them um, at partnership level, or there's a risk appetite um, issue around women not wanting to become equity partners because it's too risky for them and their families, what do we need to change to make it possible for women to continue to work in the legal profession? And I think we don't need to be so scared. You know, people's priorities in life really change. Um, mine, yours, I'm sure it's true of so many people who are listening to this. So it's not fair to say to somebody, just because you had a one moment in time, say getting married, or you had a one child, you're not allowed to change your plans ever again. And we fixed you in time as a woman, and we never give you the chance to return to your full potential. I was always puzzled, to be honest, by an educated, highly educated, it's so competitive to become and qualify, whether at the bar or in the solicitor's profession. It's not an easy path. It's really competitive. People work so hard. They go through so many obstacles. We cannot just let them go when they put all that effort in. It's not okay to educate girls and clip their wings and to say, well, you can only go so far. And so I like to think that men start realizing that actually it's okay to ask questions more than once, not to fix people's lives in time. And if you like, you know, um, even my child says, you know, ask your girls and your daughters, you know, would you want them to face that obstacle themselves? If you don't know how to empathize with your colleagues, how about you look closer to home, literally your home and see how will that play out for you and your family and your sisters and your your relations? Would you like them to feel they have an end in sight rather than allowing them to flourish? And if your answer is 
no, I don't want them to be facing bias. I don't want people to put obstacles that are completely made up and manufacturers. They're never about ability. Women are overqualified for most of these jobs. They have to be to get anywhere. Bring them into the room and say to yourself, yes, I have to compete and be good. But being really good in your profession is a pride. Uh, it's a really wonderful thing not to be afraid of and welcome them with open arms. I think men can do so much more and they don't have to be afraid. Well, absolutely. So what do you think then are the main barriers to women progressing? And indeed, not just women, but you know, across the characteristics, we see that when you get to the senior parts of the profession, the legal profession, whether that's you know the solicitor profession, the judiciary, what we see is that women uh, those from a, an ethnic minority background, those who have a disability, who identify as LGBT+, are not reaching those senior parts of uh, the profession. Yeah, so I think women, in a way, they, they've managed to break through new ground ahead of minorities and other, uh, because simply they, you know, they've managed to create and uh, a more cohesive voice over the last 20 years or so. Whereas um, minorities are behind, if you like, some of the obstacles that women face, they're facing today, that women faced maybe 25 years ago. So I think we need to learn from that history and say we can accelerate their progress. They don't need to wait another 25 years just because we waited. Um, so I think there's um, a number of things. I mean, luckily, and I hope it will be here to stay, allowing true flexible working and learning to manage people in a different way will absolutely unlock the potential of many of these communities that for a, a long time were locked out, including disabled lawyers, women with families that want to be primary carers. It's not just about, you know, um, saying, well, bring the men and make them take parental leave. We've got to listen to what women want. And if they wanted to be around their children for a period of time, we should respect that, but we shouldn't suddenly catalogue them as, you know, unambitious and out of the workforce. It is a choice and we should um, listen to it and not judge them for it. Um, so I would say, you know, the structure of the partnership model isn't a, a very helpful one as well, because um, it obviously it's a pyramid scheme. There's a little bit of, um, of um, kind of lack of transparency around how do you even get to be a partner? What does it take? Um, you know, there's financial commitment, there is client base, there's all these things. So in order for women to really reach in uh, the higher echelons of law firms, for example, there's certain things that they need to do. And in order to do that, they need to know what it takes. So I think having that transparent conversation around, look, this is what it takes to be a partner and allowing them again to exercise choice and prepare for it is really important. But I think in many firms, we have no idea. How do you become? I mean, I qualified 15 years ago. I still don't know how my firm, they never talked to me about, well, we have this partnership track and the way it works. It seemed to always happen if you went on a kind of, uh, you know, lots of drinks at night and you had lots of kind of built re internal relationships with, you know, influential partners, mostly men, then you might have a stab at it. But is that the only method? Is that the accepted method? Why should that be the only way? And I think we need to demystify it and really explain how does it work? Why is it working that way? Um, equally on the judiciary, I think it's, a you know, obviously it's opening up to different types of skill sets, more solicitors coming in. The tribunals are definitely making 
quite good progress around balancing. But the very top, again, you know, I was very happy when I saw the Supreme Court have a, you know, an event to explain how you can't just overnight become a Supreme Court judge, but you can prepare for it. So how about we explain that preparation stage? Nothing in life, you know, happens overnight, right? I mean, you know, because mm. you know how you got elected. You <laughs> four, know, it's, four attempts, yes. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, being able to say to people, it's okay to try multiple times. You have to say, you know, position yourself strategically. You've got to think about what are your core, you know, um, areas of exposure that you need to have acquired, you know, reach out, don't be afraid to ask for help. All these things are in a way you know, maybe uh, unspoken things when you have um, a profession that was so cohesive in terms of makeup. I mean, it was just white men for a very long time. Maybe they had unspoken rules, but it's time for them to put them on paper and really explain what is success, uh, how you, how do you get measured for it, and how do you get seen for it? And I think all of these things, um, I think with policy and um, guidance and really genuine desire for change are possible. It's about documenting your business and explaining it to other people, which we do all the time. If we run a business like I do, I couldn't run it without explaining how things work and how you know success is achieved. So we just need to move away from this kind of, you know, um, kind of members club kind of um, attitude where, you know, we're just in there and we're kind of happy to be exclusive to a more inclusive profession where we are actually telling people how success is achieved. And communication from the top down is going to be critical, really explaining what makes a good leader, um, what makes a good partner, why should you want it? So the message is clear. If you don't succeed at first, try again and try again if you need to. So turning the focus briefly on the pandemic, has the pandemic made things worse or better in terms of gender equality? In the depth of the pandemic, there's no doubt that women really struggled. And with the project, we surveyed a couple of times and we had hundreds of people responding about the impact but that, you know, situation was exceptional. It was crisis. And I think really what's critical is what we learn from it and what doors we don't shut that could actually be opportunities for women and for, as I said, people that weren't um, before included in the legal profession. For example, homeworking in a crisis is not the same as enabling people to work flexibly normally. And it's very easy to say, well, that was too much. It cannot work because that is the methodology that would be inaccurate and it would be very damaging. So I think being able to take away the good lessons and the good things that happened and be able to roll them out longer term would be critical because one of the biggest barriers to women staying in the profession once they have families was the lack of home working opportunities and flexible work. That was always the top reason. And so if we are now saying the only good performance and the only success is, you know, people being in the same room as the man physically, that will be an issue. And it will, again, isolate some people. And we don't need to go back to that. We can really embrace this more inclusive environment. So I think the pandemic, because it was so deep and so, you know, problematic, I think it's really critical that we take away the right lessons from it. Yeah. So 
Speaking to the future, Dana, to future generations, to our, our daughters, our sisters, our nieces, and so forth. Speaking to the future, what would you say to them? I know this may, might be an unusual thing to say because most lawyers I know try to put their children off becoming lawyers. But I would say being a lawyer is an incredible job. I don't practice anymore. I'm a non-practicing solicitor. But from my point of view, being able to be engaged in the delivery of justice makes an incredible amount of difference to people's lives. And I think I would say to them how important all these fundamentals of why law needs to exist are the reasons why they should consider a career in law. I think we are ahead of the game in terms of other industries, in terms of, you know, women, maybe because they you know, we have a lot of advocates and then people are good with words. They've managed to push some change that I think in other sectors is lagging. If you look at the financial sector, it's way behind the law. So from that point of view, if you're a woman and or, or a minority looking to enter and thrive, I think you still stand a better chance by being in the legal profession and other industries. Use your advocacy and use your ability with words to really push for justice to be a reality. And I think that is a privilege and it's a wonderful job to be able to be part of. And I hope they don't turn their um, eye away from embracing it. I mean, I am very concerned that it's becoming more and more difficult to enter and it's, you know, more difficult to qualify. And that can be putting some people that we absolutely need to have in the profession you know, off from being able to enter. So we need to look out for access to the profession to be wide and really enabling of many people. But isn't it a great place to be, to be upholding the rule of law? I think it's a wonderful thing and um, it's a privilege and I would urge them to join. Absolutely. So a world that's diverse, equitable and inclusive and collectively where we can all hashtag break the bias. Dana Denise-Smith, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you as well for having me. Legally Vocal from Aperio. Join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Legally Vocal and follow on your podcast app of choice for every episode as it's released.